Hello and welcome back to the New Consent Narrative, a podcast where we bring a new lens on relationship and sexual violence and what you can do about it. Our aim is to share information in a relatable, easy, and digestible manner for college students who want to be a part of the solution but aren't sure where to start. My name is Jillian McBain. I am now a junior at the University of Utah, and I am studying health, society, and policy. I am passionate about ending sexual violence, which is why I work as a staff member at the U's McCluskey Center for Violence Prevention, Research, and Education. I'm hosting this podcast to get our messages out to as many people as possible. I come from an upper middle class background, and I identify as a white cisgender woman. This shapes some of the perspectives I share. Today is our first episode back after a bit of a break. We are going to be talking about a topic that is fundamental in what we do at the McCluskey Center. Today is all about the topic of power. Now, power is an interesting word, and you might be thinking, what the heck does that have to do with consent, relationship and sexual violence, and all of the things we talk about on this podcast? The answer is actually a lot. Joining me today is Brenda Payan Medina, another student staff member, and I'll go ahead and ask her to introduce herself. Thank you, Jilly. I'm super excited to be here. My name is Brenda Payne Medina. I use the pronouns she, her, and I'm an engineering student here at the U. I became interested in learning about sexual violence and harm as a result of observing relationship dynamics within my own family and also as a result of learning about the justice system and the ways that it does not aid in people's healing or rehabilitation. I come from a middle-class background and I'm a cisgender woman of color, which informs the way that I perceive harm and also how I communicate about these topics. Thank you so much for being here, Brenda. I am so excited to get into this conversation. All right. Can you kind of start for our listeners with defining what power is? Yeah. So I think my understanding of power is that it is just the influence that somebody has in a certain setting and it's present everywhere. And it can also change depending on who's present in the setting or whether it's kind of like a workplace or if you're out with friends or just in different settings like that. There's also formal power, which is more related to the position or the title that somebody holds. For example, in a classroom, you can usually see this kind of power dynamic between a teacher or professor and the students. In most cases, the teacher is the one with more power because they're in the position of standing in front of the class and lecturing on some kind of material for the students to eventually be tested on or to have to memorize. Bosses, leaders of companies, and policymakers are also other examples of positions of power. Here in the United States, institutions like the police and the government hold a lot of power because they're able to make and enforce the laws that we're supposed to follow and live by. And informal power is a little more complicated. It has to do more with how somebody is viewed or treated by others or also how they carry themselves and how they move throughout their lives. We live in a society that's been set up to make power really easily accessible to straight, able-bodied white men. An example of this is when you look at a poster of all the presidents that the United States has had, which historically and like also really obviously (laughs) the president is like a position with a lot of power and you can see on these posters that the only person of color is a black man which is like Barack Obama and everybody else is it's all (laughs) white men yeah and so informal power has a lot to do with what makes up our identities as people which we talk about a lot so this includes things like race and ethnicity sex gender age sexuality and anything to do with socioeconomic status which can also include your education level and your income. Yeah. 
Totally. Thank you so much for giving that definition on power and kind of explaining the difference between formal and informal power. I'd like to say that informal power and power in general isn't bad, but we can kind of think about, like you said, it's kind of like just the influence that we have. So when we're with our friends, you know, we think about the influence that they have over us to do certain things. I know in my own life, I'm very easily convinced into doing fun, any type of fun activity if it's with one of my friends. And there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is when we use this influence to control or manipulate someone in a way that doesn't feel good, which we are going to be talking about a lot more later. But power is very important to us and our work. All right. When we consider power, it's also really important to consider history. So in the history of the U.S., can you talk about who has historically been denied power? Yeah, so I think one of the first examples that comes to mind for me is just the marital rape laws. In the colonial United States, it wasn't considered rape if it happened between a husband and wife. And in some states, this law was still in place until the 1960s, which is actually like super (laughs) recently. Yeah. And then in the colonial era, also under coverture laws, literally also called property laws, women couldn't file for their own sexual assault and rape cases. It was only men who could file on behalf of their wives or daughters. And men were also, again, given the power in the situation when women should have been able to take control over those things. Yeah, That is such an important example, and I don't think that everybody realizes how much it was during the colonial period, but there is still, I mean, it didn't end the 1960s, like that wasn't that long ago. Another example is that rape was used as a tool of colonization towards indigenous people, so colonizers would actually rape native women as a way of exerting power over that entire community. They literally used sexual assault as a tool to get what they wanted, and this aided in the foundation of our country, like of the United States. This is written into our history. And colonizers also used their power to erase native norms and traditions, and they replaced them with our kind of patriarchal society and power system. And then another example is with people of color, specifically black people, have been denied the power and opportunity to give consent. So also during colonization, black people were used as slaves which everybody everybody should know that they were considered property like movable goods so it was never considered that they could be hurt or injured by sexual assault even though rape and sexual assault was used all the time against them for a variety of reasons um, partly to increase the labor supply and again that exertion of power all of these these terrible reasons but we have to talk about them and because of how relevant they are today and how important this history is. Moving on in our conversation, can you think of kind of like a personal experience where you felt either empowered or disempowered due to your identity? Yeah, I think I'm going to start by kind of reiterating a little bit of my background. So I am like a first generation college student and I come from a Mexican American family. My parents were the first to immigrate to the United States from Mexico. And all throughout the time that I've been growing up, like with my parents, they always really emphasize the value of education. And I think as a result, education has become like such a big source of empowerment for me since neither of my parents graduated high school and then my grandparents didn't finish elementary school. So having the opportunity to attend college just feels like a really big milestone just generationally. (laughs) 
And additionally, I think being in college has also made me aware of how big identity plays in, I guess, like how you move through the world and how other people perceive you. And I think most notably is just how you experience education and like what opportunities you're like aware of and you're able to take advantage of as a result of who else in your family just knows about college, knows how to navigate different career fields and things like that. So, yeah, it's nice you say that because I feel like I really identify strongly as a student. I feel really empowered when I get a good grade on a test or an essay or something that, you know, I can show people like I did this, I studied for this, I worked really hard on this, and I'm proud of myself because I did a good job. But I think part of this was how I was raised with education being so important in my family. My parents are both super educated. They met when they were in grad school and they always kind of instilled in us that we would go to college, we would get a good education. That was just something I always took for granted and something that I really identify with now today. But I've also, you know, reflected on how with that identity piece, having the financial means for one to access education and having the support of my parents and being enrolled in the U, it's something I'm really fortunate for. It's not something that everybody gets to experience, but I I find a lot of value in it and I identify with it a lot. I love learning from other students and especially people from other backgrounds. It's cool that we kind of have that in common, (laughs) even though it's a little bit different. Okay, Brenda, how can we be conscious of our power and identities? Yeah, so I think being conscious of your power and identity involves being really mindful about other people's identities and just really actively listening to how their identities affect the way they experience things, especially things like education, relationships, and just navigating society as a whole. And additionally, I think that the power that you leverage in different environments shifts as well, depending on like who's present and what kind of environment you're in. So it's really important to consistently be open to listening and learning from others, even if they have an experience that doesn't necessarily reflect the one you have. And another way I think identity plays a role in how we think about sexual violence is in who we believe victims to be. I think an example that is very like prevalent on the news and stuff is how we see more coverage about cases in which sexual violence victims identify as white cisgender women. And as a result, that is like naturally the person that comes to mind when we think of a victim of sexual violence. Mm-hmm. When in reality, there's so many other individuals with so many other different identities that experience harm as well, but those cases don't receive as much visibility. I think it's really important to remember that oppression still exists today. So we talked about it from how it happened in history. I mean, as much as we'd like to live in a world where it's completely been eradicated, that is just not the case. Um, So like you said, with media coverage on sexual violence, white cisgender women are most oftentimes covered. And it's not to say that those stories don't matter. But from some of our research, we know that indigenous women and women of color are actually targeted and violated at higher rates, even though... Those aren't the stories that we see in the media as often. Okay, where do we see people taking advantage of their power? Can you give just some more examples on that? Yeah, I think the examples I have kind of come to mind just from relationship dynamics that I've observed or been in. And one that I think sticks out to me is just using the like admiration or attachment somebody has for you to get away with things like constantly pushing their boundaries or 
not listening to what their needs are or just overall just kind of disrespecting them in ways just because you know that they will forgive you or they will like eventually move on from it just because they have a certain attachment or like for you. And then another example that comes to me is just invalidating someone's emotions about different situations or telling them what they felt or experienced was not real just because it's not Mm -hmm. something that you personally experienced. I think another important example that also comes up in relationships is just gossiping about other people in an attempt to turn people against different individuals or have some kind of favoritism. Probably the kind of scariest one for me is just as a result of like all these things is just experiencing like social isolation from friends and family or kind of encouraging that your partner isolate themselves from people that support them that way. That's especially harmful when we see in relationships people being taken away from their other loved ones, their other family and friends, or that person kind of like monopolizing on their time. I mean, we totally see people taking advantage of their power in these relationships to, you know, get what they want. I mean, in, in our work, when we think about just when it comes to sex, someone might coerce their partner into doing something they don't want to by saying, you know, don't you love me? Or the last person I dated would do this. Why won't you? To kind of like guilt them into something. And just overall ignoring boundaries is a huge thing. We see this all the time when somebody says no or they don't have the time or space to do something and then the other person disrespects it. They're like, well, sure you do. And it's like, no, I, I really don't. People also will act differently or think it's okay to be rude like be nice just when they're trying to get something that they want. I absolutely hate this. It is like the bane of my existence when people are acting a certain way just because they want something out of you. It's completely uncool and emotionally harmful. Another thing I want to bring up is people using their status, being an athlete or being involved in Greek life or being, you know, a member of a certain club or holding a certain position. You know, we talked about positions earlier with power and then using that to do things, you know, intentionally taking their partner away from their other obligations or just using that status over them, I think that is really harmful. And then more with like college, we talked about us being identifying so strongly with being students and how education is really important. So it can be really harmful if someone intentionally gets in the way of our personal college endeavors and our success, how well we want to do. I could, there are so many examples. I mean, we could go on and on about stalking, this academic abuse I just said, economic abuse, using someone's money, emotional manipulation is another example. We see this a lot with microaggressions or offensive remarks, calling somebody a bitch, calling them other mean names. We see examples where women hold power with that kind of emotional manipulation too. Women being more likely to emotionally manipulate their partners and then men being more likely to physically harm their partners. That's kind of a very binary scenario but just another thing to bring up and talk about i mean it's a huge problem and it's all around us so what can we do moving forward so i think the first thing for me is just learning to lean into the discomfort of i guess like understanding when you've caused somebody harm and just learning to sit with that feeling and also be open to listening to their experience and i think honestly being open to listening and being open to change is one of the most important things because i think people are scared to like repair relationships when they feel like they've done something wrong because of the feelings of like shame or embarrassment that 
come up. And I think learning to like kind of sit with those feelings and learn to talk through things and learn to navigate like changes in relationships, even if it's something that makes you uncomfortable, is super important. And it's definitely a good step to take in learning to, I think, just like understand harm and understand how to move on from that and be open to like being wrong, kind of accepting that like as people, we are going to be wrong sometimes and we're going to do things wrong. But I think it's more important that moving forward, you change what you're doing wrong instead of being embarrassed about it or not wanting to talk about it. I think people are really scared of doing it wrong and even talking about it. My number one thing is just start by addressing power. You know, there's this thing called power evasiveness where we don't want to talk about power because it makes us really uncomfortable. And, you know, maybe people don't even like they know the word, but they don't really know what it is. So I think it's important to start talking about it. And then after that, dig deeper and ask why naming power makes us uncomfortable. You know, is it because we're afraid of losing it? Have we inherited power that we maybe feel like we don't fully deserve. I know from personal experience, I have benefited from my whiteness, even though I wish it weren't this way. It is. It's the truth. And, you know, one example of this is even just the way that my parents raised me. We talked about education already, but they literally raised me to believe that I have endless opportunities and can essentially do anything I want in my life. I grew up believing that, you know, the world is my oyster and I can do whatever I want to do and I'll be successful. I knew I was going to get a good education. I've always been blessed with good health and resources resources and I've benefited from that so much. That is not the same way that everybody grows up. People grow up with different mindsets or expectations for success. So kind of an example is a lot of times in black families, the parents raise their children to actually expect hardship that comes with everyday instances of discrimination and racism that is part of their lived experience instead of that immediate success American dream. Like (laughs) if you believe you can do it. So I think just like reflecting more on how the way that I grew up is different for so many people. Another thing that I do a lot is journal and reflect about the way that I feel going through different spaces in my life where I feel comfortable and uncomfortable, where, you know, I can walk into spaces. I think it would be valuable for other people to do this as well, which is why I'm talking about it. You know, where we can walk into a space and not question how we show up, that is a prime example of power and privilege. So for me, something I think about now is when I first arrived at the U, I almost immediately felt at home in my freshman year dorm cluster, and it was just very easy for me to adjust to the college life. I loved it. I felt like I was living the dream and originally I thought this was because all the new people who I lived with and I had similar interests at least. If you know the University of Utah, it was Lasagne Studios and we lived on a themed floor where it was like the outdoor adventure and gear floor. So many of us like to be active and ski and hike and all of those things, which we did have in common. But as I've reflected more, I also recognized that another thing many of us had in common was coming from either a wealthy or comfortable enough family that could afford to pay for that housing in that nice dorm that we all live in and furthermore support those outdoor hobbies that are expensive that we partake in. So yeah, that's that's a little bit about me. Um, I'd also like to leave our listeners with not being scared of doing things wrong, like you mentioned. Continuously exploring and understanding our ideas and the way we show up in the world is so important. Telling these stories and then also listening to the stories of people who have traditionally been unrepresented, minoritized, or left out of these conversations, especially listening to stories that are different from our own is really important to widen our perspectives and understanding. 
considering power and making changes to these current systems that empower some groups while oppressing others is necessary if we want to end relationship and sexual violence, which we do. And if you took the time to listen to this podcast, then you care too and you want to be a part of the solution. We had such a fabulous conversation today. I want to thank you, Brenda, for joining me and thank you to everyone for listening. I'm your host, Jillian McBain, from the McCluskey Center for Violence Prevention, Research, and Education. Theme music is Lobo Loco. Special thanks to Robert Nelson of the Marriott Library for technical help and Allie Moore, who's the graduate assistant at the McCluskey Center, for editing and producing this episode. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.